0: Well, that was the, me- the message then, and that is the message today. And that message, that purpose, that, that, that sentence, that statement changes everything, right? It changes everything about the way we live in this world that we live in. So, thank you so much for being here, and I wanted to sh- share something with you. Someone was, uh, I was, saw this like, um, oh, it was an email, I guess it was, and someone was talking about how, how sometimes there's a tendency for pastors to maybe get to the place where they take Christmas and Easter and it's just, they turn it into making it just routine. And I was thinking to myself, how is that even possible? How is it even possible to not be excited about what it is that we celebrate today? You know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I got to get psyched up for this. You know, like, yeah, I got to get ready for the big game. It's like the national championship for pastors, you know, on Easter Sunday morning. My goal is, is not to play as lousy as KU played last night. If that is the case, we're all in trouble. <laughs> all in trouble. But we're so excited. So anyway, I wanted to share with you just a little background as we, as we get into the story this morning, the Easter story. So last week, if you were here, we celebrated the triumphal entry. Jesus rides into the city. It's, pass, it's a um, Palm Sunday, and there's the celebration. But the week doesn't end as well as it started. And so during this this time period between Jesus riding into the city and to the time that we celebrate the resurrection, Jesus taught a lot. If you look at the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus spent a lot of time in that last week sharing and teaching and reminding and preparing his followers for his departure. There was a lot more to be said. So much more was said that has been written down that there's not enough books to be able to hold it all. That's how much Jesus taught. Jesus predicted. He predicted his death. He said that the hour had come for him to be glorified. He said that he must be lifted up so that all men will be drawn to himself. It must happen. He says it was for this reason This hour has come. Jesus showed. Now, just to give you, if you want to keep score at home, this is all out of the book of John, all right? This is John chapter 12. Okay, you don't have to turn there unless you want to turn there because we're going to go to John 19. That's eventually where we'll read some some scripture from, from the Bible. So if you want to turn there, that's fine. But in John 12, Jesus showed the full extent of his love to his followers. It was the last time that they shared the passover meal and jesus got up from the table and he became a servant to his followers the king became the servant and he washed his disciples feet the bible says that he showed them the full extent of his love i love this picture of jesus because it gives us an example to follow It's in John chapter 13. During that time, Jesus totally transforms the way we look at the Passover meal. He turns it into what we call today the Lord's Supper. The time of remembering, the breaking of bread, the the sharing of the bread like his body, the sharing of the cup as it's his blood. Jesus transforms that that supper into something completely different. It's a new covenant. It's a new agreement now between God and man. That's what happened during this week. Jesus demonstrates radical love. Love for us. Love for us to model for those around us. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, there is no relationship that you're in that this kind of love couldn't um, impact in a positive way. Think about it. Think about the people that are around you. And the people that weren't able to be here, but that could be sitting next to you. What if, what if, kids, what if you loved your mom and dad so much to where you wanted to just serve and bless them in in such a powerful way? It's like washing of feet is what Jesus modeled for his followers. Kids, what if you loved your siblings that way? Sometimes that's harder than others. I've had siblings in my life. And I was just with my sisters and my brother not too long ago. We reminisced about the way they mistreated us when we were younger and how they abused us when we were small, but how they love us now. But what if we loved each other that way, sacrificially, giving, instead of always expecting to receive? Listen, that will change the way you see that other person. Husbands, wives, what if we love that way? Jesus said, you will be blessed if you do the same. If you love like this, you will be blessed. Now, church, what if we loved the community that way? What if we love the people who have no interest in being here at all today? A few days ago, we walked around Woodland Trace Apartments and we passed out invitations to come to Easter. Easter. And for the most part, it was a pretty positive experience. Ryan was with me. And then we knocked on this one door. <laughs> Looks out. like <laughs> I can see is his face. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm Pastor Bradhams from a local church here in town. Shut the door. Oh, okay. That went well. <laughs> Then he opens it back up. Don't you know that people that are already going to go to church don't need to be invited to church? I was like, well, I don't, I don't always know. We just wanted to make sure that somebody invited you to come because most people will come if they're invited. And then he opened it back up. Well, use your God-given brain to whatever, whatever. And I was like, uh, at that point, adrenaline kicked in. I don't know if I was supposed to run or like bust through the door and beat him up. I didn't know. <laughs> good thing Ryan was with me because I tried to handle myself appropriately. <laughs> be a good example for the young man. Feet-washing kind of love. You know, but, but we want to love that man with this kind of love. Because that's what he needs more than anything, right? Now, we had some great experiences, too. There's a, a one particular young lady who opened the door, and I asked, hey, if God could do a miracle in your life today, what would it be? And She said, you know, I'm really trying hard to complete my master's and, and really just stay on this track to, to get my degree so I can get a better job. I said, "What well, do you care if we pray with you? And listen. On a normal day, it's kind of bizarre, really, if you think about it. Complete stranger, opens the door, and she allows me to put my hand on her shoulder and pray for her. To me, that's a miracle. This is beautiful. And maybe that's the only time I'll ever get a chance to minister to that woman. Maybe maybe she'll show up in our church. I don't know. But we want to love that way. Do you know that kind of love sets us apart from the rest of the world? That kind of love sets Jesus apart. It's a sacrificial kind of love. Jesus, during that particular time, predicts his his betrayal from Judas and his denial by Peter. Even after already knowing that, Jesus still washed their feet and still loved them. That blows me away. Because isn't it easy to love the people that are easy to love? (laughs) Or I'll love you if you do something for me. Jesus comforts John chapter 14 he comforts troubled hearts he he promises them that uh, he's going to go away and prepare a place if he goes away he's going to come back he promises that I will send you a counselor I'll send you the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth to come and live in you to be one with you as a father and I are one so that you won't have to do this on your own like I'm going to guide you I'm going to give you some help isn't it nice to have some guidance, to kind of have a sign. Like, I'm a guy. I need a sign, all right? Just tell me where to go and what to do, all right? Not, I'll still probably, won't mess, I'll probably mess it up, but just show me. Give me a sign. Then, at the, on, or at the end of John chapter 16, Jesus tells his followers, he says, I want you to have peace. Because in this world, you're going to have some trouble. Can I get an amen? In this world, you are going to have some trouble. And isn't it good news that this is not our home? But while it is our home, we can, ha- we can trust in this, that Jesus says, but, uh, but it's okay because I've overcome the world, and if you have me, I'll overcome the world through you, with you, and for you. John 17 comes and Jesus prays. Jesus prays a lot. He prays for Himself. Yes, Jesus prays for Himself (laughs) to the Father. It says, Father, the time has come for the world to know that there is eternal life through me. I want the world to know. Jesus prays. Jesus prays for His disciples. He says, Father, protect them. Set them apart by truth, by the truth of your word. Lead them and guide them, protect them. And you know, Jesus prays for you and for me that day. He prays that we will be one, it says, like he is one with the Father. He prays that the world will know that God sent Jesus Through us. That's how he wants the world to know. So that they can also know his love. If you have any comfort and any peace that comes from the Lord, give it away. Let somebody else know. Let someone else know. Or when you are feeling a lack of it, (laughs) let someone else know. (laughs) So we know how to pray for you and how to encourage you. I think it was was during this time that uh, it doesn't record it the same way in John as it does in the other Gospels, but it was the same time that Jesus prays this heart-wrenching prayer in the garden. And he uses some words that are hard for us to come up with at times, especially during difficult times in our life. Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. Are you in a situation right now in your life where you don't want to, but maybe the best thing for you to say is, God, not my will, not my desire, not what I want to come out of this. Because really, truly, what we want compared to what he wants for us, two completely different things a lot of times. Sometimes it's the exact same thing, which is beautiful. It says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. But this prayer, like, not my will, but yours be done. And that is, that is hard to do as, a, as people. <laughs> it's just hard to do. Jesus is arrested. John chapter 18. I love John's rendition of this particular story when the people came to arrest him and they asked him, are you the one? And he says, I am he. And you know what happens? The people fall down because there is power in his name blown away, power in his name. Jesus is questioned by Caiaphas, the high priest. This is in 18. He's brought before Pilate, the Roman governor, who really, ultimately, didn't find anything to charge Jesus with. You're not guilty. I can't find anything to to say you're guilty for. He tried as much as he could to convince the people. He tried to set Jesus free. Do you know that the only thing that Jesus really truly could have been considered guilty for is the fact that he healed people on the Sabbath? It would be like coming to church and and, uh, healing people. Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. Jesus is the holy day. Wait till tomorrow. (laughs) No, don't wait till tomorrow. Take his healing today. (laughs) Jesus says it doesn't matter. I created the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for us. It's for me. It's for me to help bless someone else. And he said he healed people on the Sabbath. You know what Jesus was guilty of? And this is good news for you and me. Jesus loved sinners. He loved them. He hung out with them. He spent a lot of time with them and not with the religious leaders and those who were questioning him at that particular moment. He loved them. He came for them because they were sick and they needed a doctor. Then ultimately the thing that did him in is he claimed to be the son of God. And because of this, the leaders wanted him dead. And they looked for ways to make that happen. I love how they insisted on releasing a convicted murderer. Set him free. That makes more sense. Yes, right. Go ahead. Set him free (laughs) and let Jesus, the innocent one, be crucified. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. So let's pick up the story in John chapter 19. So if you have a Bible with you, John chapter 19. I think the best thing to do is let God's word speak for itself. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, they clothed him in a purple robe, and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. So when Jesus was whipped and he was beaten. Isaiah 53 says it like this, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, it says, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was about ready to take all of our sin upon himself. What's more, it says, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. He said to him, look, this is a human being. This person, this real live person, you are wanting to end his life. And there is no apparent reason really to make that happen. He says, I want you to see him, not just with your eyes. He's more, the saying was more like, I want you to see him with your heart. Have compassion. Feel for him. Ladies and gentlemen, today, Behold Jesus. See him with your eyes. See him with your heart. It says that uh, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, <laughs> they didn't really see him. Because you know what they shouted? Crucify! Crucify! The pilot answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace, and he asked Jesus, where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus says, you have no power over me, if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judges' seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is called Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. Here they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, (laughs) and they just were guilty of it themselves. The chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place called the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him with two others, others, one on one side, one on the other. Pilate had noticed a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and dividing them into four shares, each one of them, with an undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled. Isn't it amazing? Even in a small detail like that, God is still fulfilling prophecy. They divided my garments among them and cast my lots for clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother his mother's sister Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby this was John dear woman here is your son and to his disciple he said here is your mother and that time on Jesus took her into his home later knowing all that was completed so that scripture would be fulfilled Jesus said I am thirsty a jar of wine vinegar was there so he soaked the spun in it, spun in it And they put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation, and the day was a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water... The man who saw it has given testimony, and this testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies it so that we also may believe. Man, that's powerful. This, the whole purpose is this is so that we would believe. These things happen so the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look upon the one that they have pierced. So they buried Jesus. And for sake of time... They buried him. They gave him the burial of a king. They prepared his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus to put his faith in Jesus in the very beginning of the book of John. And they buried him in a tomb. But early on the first day, while it was still dark, I love this, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene had been set free from demons in her life. She had been set free And she was worshiping and following Jesus, even in his death. She went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. I've always thought I was more like Peter than anyone else in Scripture because he was always sticking his foot in his mouth and he was a slow runner. It's exactly like me. He bent over and looked up at the strips of linen lying there, but he, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, and of course he went in. <laughs> he saw the strips of linen lying there as well, and the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw and he believed. But they still, not underst- still did not understand the scripture, from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, and Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, another at the foot. And they asked, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she turned and cried in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. She said, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what the things that had happened to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, so think about this. This was like later on tonight, on a Sunday evening. Jesus appears to his disciples. They were all together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then the story about Thomas, who doubted, but yet was later to believe. Thomas said, unless I see the nails, marks in his hands, and put my fingers through the nails where they, where they were, or put my hand on his side, I will not believe. Maybe for some of us, we need more evidence, right? As if being on this side of the cross is not not enough. <laughs> A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, and through the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Jesus said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen yet who have believed. And ladies and gentlemen, that's you and me. If you believe that Jesus has been crucified and arisen from the dead and you believe that and you have not seen that with your own eyes, blessed, it says, are you. Because of your belief. Now, Jesus did many other miraculous signs, it says, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these were all written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. That's good news. But I want to finish with a real life story that hopefully you can wrap your mind around. Recently I was in a courtroom. And when I'm in a certain place or different places, I always wanna take notes and I want to r I wanna I wanna see it with my own eyes and I wanna think, how does this fit fit spiritually? What's the, what, what can I gain from this spiritually? Like, what is God trying to teach me through this moment? So I want you to get this picture with me. I'm sitting in a courtroom, just like you're sitting in this room right here. And as you're sitting here, you see someone walk through the door, and it's the prosecuting attorney. And they walk in with a file this thick of, of cases, your cases, your name, your life, <laughs> your sin. That's what I was thinking about. And I watch this person walk in and they slam them down on the table and they start telling everyone, like, all right, if you're here today, this is your files. We know your story. We know all about you, basically. We know what you've done. And you probably are more like guilty because you're here. And then they call out um, some names and they say, if we call out your name, you are not eligible for a diversion. Like you you just don't you're done. Basically, you need to go stand before the judge and try to explain your case. You don't get the grace that is coming to the rest of you here. Ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a day when we're all going to stand before the prosecuting attorney. And some of us if we've not put our hope and trust in Jesus, you're not eligible for the great diversion. <laughs> But here's what didn't happen in this courtroom, but this is what happens in our life when it comes to who Jesus is. What would have been amazing is if Jesus would have walked into the courtroom, our defense attorney. <laughs> he would have walked into the courtroom. He would have taken all of those files, all of those stories, all of that sin, all of that life. He said, you know what? I'll take it all. I'll take all of the punishment that goes with these crimes. I'll take them. They'll be mine. So that everybody that's sitting here who wants this diversion can be free. That's what Jesus offers us, ladies and gentlemen. And that kind of grace should change us. That kind of grace should affect us in such a way that we are willing and just wanting to love with that kind of radical love those who are around us who need that message. There are so many other people who stand guilty Listen. Here's what it says. I don't know if you know that I'm passionate about this message. Listen, what it says in Ephesians, and as, as I start reading this, once you we'll come up and we'll do the last song. Listen, what it says in the book of Ephesians, chapter two. Paul's writing this to the church, and he says, "As for you, this audience, these people he's writing to, you were dead in your transgressions and sins." You, you were guilty. Your file, everything about it was true. You were convicted. You were like Barabbas. Tried, convicted. You're guilty. You were dead in your sin, it says, in, which you, in the ways that you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. By the way, you knew who the prosecuting attorney is? That's the enemy of your soul. and He is accusing you. And he loves to see people get punished. It's his greatest joy, still kill and destroy. And when we used to follow this, this path in this way, the, this, this ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, it says all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following the desires and his thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Listen, we're born guilty. And the only one that can do anything about that guilt is Jesus. Nobody else could walk into that courtroom. I couldn't stand up and offer a defense for anybody there in that courtroom that day. It wouldn't have made any difference. And I couldn't have taken their punishment. Matter of fact, I wouldn't have. Because <laughs> I don't love them as much as Jesus loves them. And it wouldn't have done any good for them. But listen to this most powerful word in this passage of Scripture. But, because of His great love for us, it says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated, seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That is the greatest diversion (laughs) in all history. We go from being guilty, convicted, tried, it's already been settled, to Jesus walking into our life, taking it all upon himself and saying, I'll become sin. I'll become all of that in order so that these people who choose to believe in me can be set free. That's what he's done for us. So that we could live full life here, right? And so that through the promise of the resurrection, that Jesus conquers death so that we can live eternally with Him. We don't have to fear death. The resurrection, ladies and gentlemen, should change your perspective about every area of your life. Every area of your life. What's going on now in your life? What's going to happen someday in death? The resurrection. Changes everything. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your mercy would triumph over judgment in our life. That even though we stand condemned, we can be set free by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Father, I pray that that changes the way we love and changes the way we live. Would you touch the hearts and the lives of of the people that are here today, would they be able to see you for the first time maybe in a long time? Would they see you not only with their eyes, but with their hearts? Would it change their steps, the direction of their life today? And if someone's here today that's never put their hope in Jesus, would you cry out to Him today? Would you ask Him to defend you to take away your guilt and your shame, to set you free so that you can know life, life that lasts forever. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.